0: I'm Eric Peterson, and you're listening to Pod Clubhouse. Pod Clubhouse.
1: There were a lot of days that were satisfying creatively in ways that I don't know that I'll ever get to experience again. I hope I do, but I got to do it once, so that's great. <laughs> the night that we shot the very last scene of the show, it felt like a real collaboration between me and the I don't want to give away who's in the last scene of the show. I'll say me and the people in the last scene of the show. And it, it was incredibly satisfying to me and I'm uh, I'm proud. I'm proud of that that day and that scene
2: to kevin can podcast himself your dedicated after show podcast for the amc series kevin can fuck himself this is caroline
0: and this is mike we're so excited to be back with you for a new season of kevin talk but tonight's episode of kevin can podcast himself will not be discussing the season two premiere instead we're bringing you our exclusive interview with series creator and executive producer valerie armstrong
2: Our podcast episodes for episode one and two of the new season will be out later this week, but we wanted to make sure to get you this interview right away in order to set the mood for the new season.
0: And just a note, the interview with Valerie does contain a few spoilers from the season two premiere, so make sure you've watched that before you listen, unless you don't care about spoilers, and then just keep listening right now. (sighs) Caroline, can you believe it's been a year? It's been over a year since we last not only talked about Kevin Can Fuck Himself, but have watched an episode does it feel like a year has gone by?
2: No, it's super fast. I can't believe like there's like a hundred and like ten days till Christmas or something. It's super crazy. I don't know. Time <sighs> It just... means nothing. It very, increasingly, very little. Yeah, increasingly
0: <laughs> means nothing <yet> to, <laughs> at all in any way. Uh, This was a great interview. I know you had a a thunderstorm literally right before we were about to go on the interview.
2: Yeah, we've been having crazy storms in Texas, so I was not able to hop on because I lost electricity like two seconds before I needed to hop on. So, uh, man, I am not expecting that to be an issue for the rest of this season, but super glad that you could do the work of two of us and get to talk to Valerie because this is going to be a big season. I mean, we have to get a lot out of very few episodes.
0: One of the things I talked to Valerie about was how the announcement that the show was ending after season two, uh, before season two, I think really even began to film. I think AMC made that announcement or at least happened during the filming. Uh, They made that announcement. I asked her how that affected the storytelling. And, and she goes into it a little bit. You know, she says that she would obviously have loved to have kept telling the story for a long time. Uh, and it did affect the last three episodes, two or three episodes of the season. It did affect what, what had been laid out. And so they had to go back to the drawing board a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, we get into that a little bit. We talked about this is actually a good episode to kind of bridge the seasons. We talked about casting choices for the show. What, you know, going in the Wayback Machine, what made Mary Hollis and Annie Murphy great for the... The serious side what made the guys great for the comedy side we talked about allison's flaws and her role in her relationships and how season two is going to explore that which is something i think you and i have talked a little bit already about offline uh seems to be it's going to become a big uh, theme of this season
2: i'm very much looking forward to this season i feel like the way that the season finale left off um for season one was really shocking and um and took the the serious level and the tension level up so many notches that i was having a hard time wrapping my brain around how season 2 was going to work at all where they were going to go with this how they were going to pick it up and uh i think that fans are going to be excited about everything that they see and the things that start to unfold but man i mean it is it's a lot of of stress like a lot of tension for this these characters
0: yeah, one of the things Valerie talks about in the interview uh, is on that. I, I asked her about Neil coming over into the single side, the, dra- the drama side of it at the end of season one, and, and she—it's interesting, and especially if you like the process of writing a show or just are into the, this show in particular, she gets into actually how season one ended was not how she had always seen Neil's fate. And uh, they they changed around how she had always seen that season ending. So it, it's interesting. I, I think that that is a nice little insight, I think, into how season two is going to play out. We also talked a little bit about how fan reactions to season one may have influenced some of the stories that we're gonna see in season two also so I don't know, i't do know it was a good interview i was glad that we got to have her on here i uh, we, we we didn't get her have her on during season one and so it was uh it was really important to us that we get to hear her voice before we delve deep into these eight episodes of season two
2: and she's been really quiet in between these two seasons so i'm hoping that our listeners are really gonna enjoy you know having a moment with her because there isn't a ton out there to uh you know get to hear her point of view
0: so so hopefully you guys enjoy this little sneak peek behind the scenes and uh, and get into Valerie Armstrong's brain. She's very much the show. I mean, they obviously there's a writer's room, but she's the series creator. She is the showrunner. She's an executive producer. So I, I think this interview is, is interesting, if nothing else, because it's really a show that comes from her mind. I'm excited for you guys to hear it.
2: And now our interview with Valerie Armstrong.
0: Joining us on Kevin Can Podcast himself, we're so excited to have series creator Valerie Armstrong joining us. Valerie, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we are sorry we didn't get you on in season one, so we're happy to have you here at the kickoff of season two.:
1: Thank you for having me, and thank you for existing at all. It's very nice. <laughs>
0: This was a show as soon as it was even announced, my partner and I, we were actually still a pretty brand new podcast network, I think, when when this was first announced. And so we were like, this is a show we have to cover. Uh, And then it ended up being a unique experience, like nothing we had seen before. So we were happy we made that right call. Uh, And thank you for bringing it to us and, and sharing it with everyone.
1: Oh, sure.
0: It's very (laughs) very kind of you. Even though we're at the start of season two, if we could take a little, uh, a minute and go way back, I just want to ask you a little bit about casting the series. Specifically, what was it about Annie and Mary that told you that they could handle the tightrope walking of the multicam scenes and then also the single cam scenes? Did something stand out in their auditions particular that said, these are them?
1: It's such a hard talent to have. Like we talked for a long time about who Allison might be. And Annie was actually mentioned. I brought her up on her, on our first casting call ever, but she was still very much in, in Schitt's Creek because this process took so long. But what both Annie and Mary Hollis, by the way, her full first name is Mary Hollis. What they have in common is this fantastic ability to calibrate. And I saw when they first started taking on these roles that they are the same women in both types of formats, but they they present themselves differently. And that, to me, is the entire like DNA of the show. It's not that they switch and become different people when Kevin's in the room. It's that they know how to stay out of his line of fire for the most part. And right. that means playing his game. And that means... Having the timing that everyone does and being a part of the joke or the butt of the joke and waiting for everybody to laugh like that in and of itself changes their performance just enough that it calibrates it towards multicam. And then in single camera, they have such beautiful vulnerability, both of them. I was in awe of it every day and still am.
0: Uh, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask the same question, though, about the comedy side that the guys on the show. You have Eric Peterson, <laughs> Brian Howe, you have Alex Bonifer. What was it about that? I mean, we interviewed Eric and Brian last season and, and Eric in particular. I've known him since like he was in like School of Rock. Like he was he was yeah. my Dewey on School of Rock when I saw it on Broadway. So I've kind of oh, been yeah. aware of him and he's like a cartoon character come to life. Yes. Yeah. What was it about them that said that these guys could handle the comedy side of it and kind of run with it?
1: Well, you said it with Eric, right? It's like it's like he is sort of a cartoon character come to life. And that was exactly what we needed. Because the whole sitcom, this multicam part of the show, is like this veneer. It's something very shiny and theoretically bright that's covering something that's actually very dark. And a live cartoon character seemed to be the exact right person to bring that to reality.
0: We like talking about his hair. His hair almost seemed to be oh another God. character on the show all on its own. So. It's,
1: Incredible. The height it gets is really (laughs) fantastic. But yeah, when casting those those guys, you know, they only had the multicam scenes to go on. That was all we were asking of them. And they really, really delivered. And then as we started thinking about the second season and realizing that we weren't, in fact, going to kill Neil off, as was my plan forever, that we are going to instead bring Neil into the single camera world, I saw more and more of Alex that made me believe he was completely capable of it. And man alive was he
0: that was I mean that was a perfect segue to the next part is in this episode obviously at the end of season one we see him come into the single cam world but in this premiere tonight his animalistic side is like on full display when when he says bitch in this episode which he says several times it feels like a violent threat even though he's tied to a pole it was kind of terrifying and intense to watch why was it important ultimately you said you had planned to kill him forever ultimately why did you make the decision that it was important to bring him into the single Came world.
1: Well, first of all, we cast Alex, who was so good that I just the idea of killing him off felt like shooting ourselves in the foot. <laughs> and even though it was the ending I'd had in my head for a while, it just stopped making sense. And also, it became a very real possibility that we would get a second season. And no one, none of the writers wanted to write a second season that opened with a dead body. It's such a bummer. As a viewer, I have trouble watching those shows. My favorite thing that Ozark ever did was get an incinerator and then bodies weren't a problem anymore. (laughs) Um, And so the idea of not killing him was tempting. But I said, you know, we have to figure out if we do that, we have to figure out an ending that we like as much, if not more. And I went away and kind of thought about it and thought, oh, what if it's like a catalyst for him to be in single camera? Like, what if he's done something so beyond the pale that he doesn't get that benefit of the doubt anymore, that he has to face some consequences? And that to me generated a ton of possible stories and a dead body just leaves them all on the ground. So that was not a hard decision at all. And to tell neil's story this year by never letting him off the hook like he put his hands on a woman and like you said Mm -hmm. whenever i hear the word bitch it sounds violent to me it sounds terrible and the way he said it too is um terrible (laughs) it is yeah but to grow his character and tell stories about him without forgetting ever what he did and what he's capable of was an interesting challenge to me and i felt like alex really really
0: rose to it He's fantastic. I mean, it's such a tightrope. And I think it obviously is a credit to you and your, and your writers. It starts on the page. Alex it brings it to life. But I'm curious if you could take us in the writer's room, what it's like to write that balanced tone. Al, Neil, in particular, had been kind of the most innocent, goofy of sidekicks, the most sidekickiest of comedy sitcom tropes. And now you have this shift at the end. I mean, we were shocked when we broke down the season finale and that scene. Uh, I, all I could think of was when Edith gets raped in All in the Family, mm. uh, which was such a which, which which I mean, happened, what, 40 years ago, 40 plus years ago, and has stayed with me as this disturbing image. That was the same kind of emotion it evoked to me. How do you guys in the writer's room write that for this up to then kind of lovable, goofy character?
1: I was incredibly lucky with my writers. I remember I was in my office. I think I was doing some work on episode four and I had asked the writers in the room to think about that moment. We knew that we wanted Neil to have overheard Patty and Allison. We did various versions of it. We talked about various versions of it and that he finds out and eventually attacks, physically attacks Allison and then Patty comes in and saves her. Still at this point, he was going to die at the end of that scene. But the lead up to it, it stayed the same. And I came back into the room and I remember Sean Clements, who never, ever failed to make me laugh very hard, pitched to me this idea that they had this long running game of hide and go seek. And what if Neil was like wedged into a cabinet? Mm-hmm. And popped it open and showed Allison that he was there that way. And then that cracked open the scene completely to me because that meant that she could walk in that room and be in multicam. And you don't know why yet, because you don't see him. But you wonder, like, oh, God, she shouldn't be in this. Why? Who's here? And then he pops out. And it meant that the top of that scene, even though it gets somewhere very serious, even though he's talking about something very serious immediately, can be funny because he's a brilliant physical comedian. And then they have that bit of like, well, I don't know if you're talking about what you're actually talking about, then I definitely don't know what we're talking about. And it slowly gets less and less funny and the audience gets less and less involved. I think we might even have someone cough when they should, like when they don't know whether or not to laugh. Mm -hmm. And then it goes there. So that, I mean, I'm so grateful to my writer's room for, for cracking that for us. And knowing that the scene should start comedic and get dark is what really, I think, makes it work
0: it played out brilliantly and it was definitely a a 2021 top TV moment for, for us anyway, here at Pod clubhouse. So, uh, thank you. you. Great credit to that. Looking back on season one, was there a scene in the sitcom realm that you always thought you would be interested to see play out in the single cam world?
1: There are a lot of moments in that multicam that,
0: are very possible, no one ever noticed
1: <laughs> that I had characters kind of make eyes at each other across a room or mm-hmm. just in case someone bothered to look
2: <laughs> so right.
1: one of my favorites is the first time Patty and Allison kind of bond in episode one three they've conspire together to get neil and kevin back being to being friends because they're being super annoying to both of them they need their partner in crime so they get neil and kevin back together and patty and allison are standing next to each other just very proud of themselves (laughs) and and liking each other and sharing space and sharing a frame and being happy about it and so that's one of those moments that i would love to see them i would love to see that in a close-up you know but i think it's still played in the multi-cam
0: I haven't put a clock on it yet, uh, but tonight seemed to spend a lot more time in the single cam uh, than the average episode last year. Can viewers expect a further shift away from the multicam bright lights as the consequences of Season 1 continue to play out and Allison has to now wrestle with what comes next in Season 2?
1: I've never done the math on it. Um, There are a few episodes where Allison might be in and out of of the multicam more, but we wanted to make sure... That every episode, we were having fun with multicam in a new way, even if it was just for us. Like in episode three, you see the beginning of the multicam episode and the end of the multicam episode and just sort of guess what hijinks happened in between, which was something we were always really curious about. I would guess on the whole, we we do see less of the multicam because Neil has his own, you know, just in terms of breaking story, that's an entire storyline that's mostly single camera now. And I think once you see him there, you want to keep seeing him there. You're less interested in him navigating that space with Kevin. So, yeah, I would guess on the whole, we do less multicam this year.
0: It almost feels like how could Neil go back I mean watching yeah. him, especially if you if you sit down and you really watch him and his body language in in episode one uh, of the new season, how could he ever go back? you know i, I can't see him playing skeetball at at the you know yep. arcade, you know anymore.
1: I think that that's a really good point, and we talked a lot about that about what his coping mechanisms would be. You know, at first it's like I need to he needs to just kind of plow through and and maybe get get some stuff off his chest, or then maybe he uh, is in denial and he just wants to forget it. Like now he goes back into that space and how it's less and less comfortable for him was very interesting to us.
0: The show has always, it seemed, been more or as much about the female friendship in particular between Allison and Patty as it was about this toxic marriage. We spent a lot of episodes talking last year about whether or not Allison was actually a good friend to Patty or just using her. That was always an undercurrent theme, but never really talked about out loud between the characters but tonight that comes up explicitly and and neil also brings up to her the way kevin sees allison and 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 right or wrong kind of says to her like she is complicit in how kevin treated her it struck us that talking about this episode is it inevitable that we're going to have to explore more in depth allison's flaws and or her role in her own life there's a lot of talk about victimhood in this episode and and you know and just i'm curious just as you're breaking stories for season two how has that become the shift or the focus of of the season
1: that's exactly right first of all i think the whole season is sort of about exploring how she's not just a victim i think when we started the show we understood Allison as someone who's awakening to the very first time that she needs to change things and how easy it is to blame someone else for it, right? She doesn't say, I need to change something about myself. She says, I need to kill my husband. And that's very myopic and very like a fresh out of the cave sort of perspective. And that as her life grows, as her perspective grows, she has to take on more responsibility for where she is in her life. And so this season, I really wanted to explore how she sort of takes that on and how it manifests in extreme self-loathing. And that's sort of where this idea came from that she explores at the end of the episode of wanting to fake her own death. To me, that's a fantastic proxy for telling stories about somebody who really has grown to hate themselves because of where they are in their life. And part of her self-loathing is realizing that she was a bad friend to Patty. You know, Patty said it in the end of eight. She said, you asked me to do this thing that I shouldn't have done, but you knew I would do it. You used me. And I think having Patty at the end of episode one say, you're not going to use me anymore starts them with a little bit of a wedge. I think that Patty is going into this relationship with Allison, telling herself that's not going to happen anymore. She won't be used anymore. And to me, that starts Patty on this journey of breaking her codependence, which is very important to me. And for Allison, it starts her on a journey of realizing, oh, I was kind of shitty. I want to be better. And the first place I want to be better is with Patty. And so throughout the season, it was really important to me and to Annie and to Mary Hollis that we see those moments where Allison is trying and Allison is trying to be better and trying not to be a dick. And, And sometimes she fails, but sometimes for the most part, I think she really succeeds. And because the truth is, I think that she loves Patty deeply.
0: What was the biggest surprise to you as as the one who not only created this, but shepherded it to life, spent four years with it, trying to get it to go and, and finally watching it then play out? What was the biggest surprise to you as season one unfolded and afterwards in the aftermath of season one from fans reactions? Did anything in particular how they received the show surprise you? And did any of those reactions affect how you and your writers broke season two stories?
1: That's a great question. I was thrilled with the response to Patty and Allison. I remember showing an episode to a friend of mine early on, and he said, man, I would watch those two get coffee. And I was like, yes, right? Like, same. <laughs> I feel that way. I'm really happy that other people feel that way. It was a relief. And I, feel, I also feel the same way about Patty's Tammy storyline. Right that was very personal to me as somebody who who sort of figured out what was going on with them and their sexuality later than most people. I was 28. And so I, when breaking that story, I didn't know if anybody would find it relatable. I didn't know if critics or Fans would say, I'm sorry, isn't it easy to come out now? Why are we still telling stories about this? I wanted to tell a story specifically to say, like, it was still hard for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. I don't, and, and maybe it's okay that it's still hard for people sometimes, that it's not just easy and accepted everywhere. And the reaction to that, I mean, I'm not really on social media. I, I tried to go easy on myself a little bit and not take in every piece of criticism, but it was relayed to me that that meant a lot to a lot of queer women, which which just broke my heart in the best way possible and i i definitely heard things like we want less multicam. We want more Patty and Allison. And that absolutely makes it its way into the room. You know, like an episode that starts with multicam and ends with multicam and you don't see anything in the middle that's born out of, okay, people want to see more of the single cam. How do we do that? What's an interesting way to do that without just dropping this to drop it? And how do we make that multicam as relevant and as entwined and saying something so that people don't want to leave it all the time? That was an interesting challenge. You know, I hope we did it, but you never know.
0: Going back on the coming out stories and telling queer stories, you know, you're you're from the Northeast. I'm from Queens, New York, in the Northeast. The, The show is set in Massachusetts. These are areas in the country where these are not easy stories to to experience and come out to. I think the show was a touchstone. We run a Facebook group, actually, for the show, as well as running the podcast for it. And we hear from fans all the time in DMs about how much the show has meant to them. And in seeing the abusive side, the emotional abusive side of Allison in her marriage, in Patty's story with Allison, in the friendship story of it, in the, the queer coming out story of it, the show resonates. It's very relatable, even if you haven't lived these exact beats i think universally we're hearing on our side of it as that the show is just relatable on on many different levels to people so
1: that's that's wonderful it's what you hope for right when you tell any story that you feel is i mean any story period i guess but i don't really know how to come at writing if not from one small bit of something that's actually happened or that I've heard about you know right. everything is at least a little bit personal and you can just hope that even though it speaks to you you hope it'll speak to someone else so I'm really really glad okay. that that it has that means a lot
0: When it was announced in between the seasons that Kevin was going to end at the end of season two, um, I know fans were bummed that there was going to be a cap put on the story, but I'm interested to hear from you as the creator, knowing there is a definitive end to the story. Did it affect how you tell this season? Did it affect where you decided to go with the story?
1: Oh, a hundred percent! Absolutely.
0: We're not going to get a fade to black gunshot at the end of episode eight <laughs> of season two, or uh,
1: no, 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 Sopranos-esque um, ending. I, I was going to say i have forgotten that you you had you haven't seen all of them, right? Uh,
0: I'm making my way through them. I, I okay. try beca- because we record reaction episodes. Yeah. I try not to spoil myself too too much because okay,
1: so I won't yeah. I won't give anything away. But we had an ending for season two that we liked. I will be completely transparent in saying, I was like, I don't know what season three is. We'll figure that out then. And then when the network said, this season's going to be your last, I was, you know, of course, bummed. You want to be able to do this forever. But at the same time, I thought, well, now I don't have to worry about season three. And I know how I want the show to end. I've always kind of known the last shot, the last kind of feeling I wanted to evoke. So I thought, okay, great. Now we have an endpoint. And we worked backwards from that and took what we had already, the stories we wanted to tell, I already knew that we wanted to do the faking your own death storyline and talk about the things that I've already said, like self-loathing and and the narratives that we ascribe to ourselves and that people give to us and and whether or not those are actually true or if they're immutable and if you can change them. All of that stayed, but uh, it absolutely changed the last three episodes or so and also I wanted to make sure that we were going to get every everyone to a satisfying place I didn't want to leave anybody off on a super big bummer (laughs) 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 or or like unfinished you know like feeling like if only they kept existing then it would get better I didn't want to do that to anybody who watched the show or the characters
0: uh, as long as it ends with Patty and Allison riding off to a Dunkin' Donuts getting munchkins and coffee <laughs> together which I by the way I'm sitting here with my extra large Dunkin' Donuts next to me the man coffee. I it's, need one today it's like my third one of the day I, I live around the corner from one so I'm constantly I, I have Dunkin' Donuts coffee at home to brew but I still run out to the Dunkin' Donuts like three <laughs> times a day for the authentic experience when all is said and done and I fully intend to have you back on around the series finale time because I, I for nothing else I want to ask this question again But here at the start of season two, when all is said and done, what is it that you hope viewers take away from Kevin can fuck himself?
1: I'm trying to figure out how to answer this without spoiling anything. I would love for people to find their self-worth and not settle for what they think they deserve to not only recognize the good parts about yourself, but to amplify them and do the work to be a better person. Those are all things that I think I would take away from the season. I would
0: hope to. I think everyone who's watched the show, and I think most of the press coverage about the show spent time pointing out characteristics and tropes pulled from sitcoms from years past, from the Raymonds and the Kevin James shows to the Honeymooners to All in the Family. I'm curious, though, to you, were there any influences that influenced where you pulled for the single cam side? What were the dramatic influences that seeped into your work here?
1: We always wanted to be able to tell stories about chaos because chaos can be both dramatic and have room for fun. So any show that really harnessed that Uh, ability to have both things happen in darkness, but also have their characters have a sense of humor about it. That was something that we, uh, uh, those were always things we talked about. Fargo was a big touchstone. Early Killing Eve, we talked about a lot. And I think that the tropes, even though they sort of begin in sitcoms, I feel like there are Allison's in a lot of single camera (laughs) stories that did her just as big a disservice as a lot of sitcoms did. I think about Skyler and how much she was hated. And I'm not saying that that story did her a disservice, but certainly the fans did, in my opinion.
0: When, when we interviewed Eric, one of the questions we asked him was, I specifically brought up Skyler and Anna Gunn having to go to the New York Times and to write an op-ed piece about, I am an actor playing a role like the vitriol that you are putting on me for this character is insane because I was curious because people loathe Kevin so much I, I was curious when we talked to Eric if he has get if he was getting backlash like personal attack kind of backlash uh, a la Skylar White because characters just hated that person so much and Allison there's a you know there's a subset of the audience that probably feels that way about her sad and scary as that is is the the, there are the neils and kevin's out there in our world you know i think the news covers them all all the time and that's terrifying
1: (laughs) oh yeah i have no idea how to make something that everyone likes you know (laughs) it's just if i did i'd be so much more successful (laughs) um the best i could do was make something and follow my gut and believe in the stories that we were telling, and there are definitely some some people out there who I mean I saw it in the first season said like why does she have to fucking kill him, ugh what a drama queen or whatever and right. it's like yeah the show's not for you man
0: uh, well <laughs> okay. the big one that we saw all the time that we just shake our shook our head and and this is kind of relates to a question I had about uh, you wrote the show in a way that really I think taught viewers how to watch it I think some shows fail at teaching the rules to their viewers of how to go about it. But I think this show did a great job if people were willing to watch. The one question we saw all the time was, why can't she just leave?
1: I oh mean, my God.
0: it's specifically addressed in the library episode where she yes. talks. So, But it's specifically stated there very boldly why she can't leave. But people throughout the season were like, I don't get it. Why does she just leave? Uh, how do you deal with those kinds of things? I mean, without revealing too much of your own personal story, do you have a set response for dealing with those kinds of you don't get it critics?
1: No, because the truth is every, every show requires a bit of buy-in. And sure. this one is yeah, believe she can't just leave. It's not just her circumstance. It's her personality that makes her unable to do what she has to, to get out of there. Somehow in her twisted New England repressed way, it's easier to quietly and alone fake your husband's death than to confront him. That is something that I I felt comfortable with and that I could defend forever. And, you know, if people choose not to buy it, they don't buy it. Right. Like, There's nothing I'm going to say to get them back, kind of. But I will say we address this season just how hard it is to leave. Yeah. And especially how to leave a guy like Kevin.
0: And on the other side, even if it's not a better question of, of leaving, I think one of the interesting characters from season one as a non-ally to Allison was Diane. And yeah. her relationship with Chuck and, and the advice, and I'm putting that in air quotes that she would give Allison about trying to keep her man happy, sees it. this first episode reveals the underbelly of when you've spent 10 years trying to make him happy and he's still cheating, uh, you know, for 10 years. And the messiness of missing cleaning up after him, she's, she's mourning that even though he did this hurtful thing to her, that's the other side of not leaving is that you yeah. live a Diane life.
1: That's exactly right. And we, we tried to tell that story, that cautionary tale with Diane this year. Chuck, I don't know if you've noticed, but he's our Vera yes. or our own, our, yes. our Maris.
0: Yes, yes.
1: We, he's only referred to in, in like very bizarre ways and never seen. Um, Sounds like a great guy. I,
0: Sounds like a because, real catch.
1: Yeah, uh, because I believe he's a single camera Kevin. He's Kevin 30 years um it's not 30 years I don't want to do a disservice to Jamie Dembo um (laughs) it's 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 more it's more like maybe eight eight years but I I think that he is and she is the ghost of Christmas future for Allison and has been the whole series and we sort of keep exploring that this season Diane has a much bigger role and it was a joy to have Jamie Dembo be there and do that
0: we're, we're just about out of time, and I appreciate uh, you know you sticking around with us for so long. As we finish up here, just a couple of questions, just to take us behind the scenes a little bit. Is there a particular memory from the shoot or just interaction with the cast that stands out to you as something you're going to hold on to as you move on to whatever your next projects are?
1: There are a lot of days that were satisfying creatively in ways that I don't know that I'll ever get to experience again. I hope I do but I got to do it once. So that's great. <laughs> the night that we shot the very last scene of the show, it felt like a real collaboration between me and the, I don't want to give away who's in the last scene of the show. I'll say me and the people in the last scene of the show. And it, it was incredibly satisfying to me. And I'm, uh, I'm proud. I'm proud of that, that day and that scene
0: I love that. It doesn't get much better than that. And in eight weeks, that's going to make a lot of more sense to people. So I know,
1: I know. I was like, did I successfully get out of that without you, saying anything? I you absolutely did. did. You
0: you you danced it well. You danced it well. Uh, what Thank are you, you watching on TV these days? I'm always curious when showrunners and, and creators what their own TV watching habits are, particularly for you, given the nature of this show. I'm curious if it has affected your ability to really truly enjoy those sitcoms. I know in your press last year, you talked a bunch about maybe. Like the you called it like laughing at the funeral, I think a couple of times yeah. or, you know, secretly hating yourself a little bit for still finding scenes in King of Queens funny or Kevin, you know, Kevin can wait. But now that you're two years in, 16 episodes, 16 hours of the show and it's all done. Has it affected your ability to sit and watch those those sitcoms?
1: I haven't tried in a long time. I haven't had like a sick, a sick day where I turn on TV land and watch King of Queens. <laughs> but I watched Frasier last night. And that's a 90s sitcom that has some 90s sitcom jokes, a lot of gay panic in that one, uh, or like kind of just homophobia. But I still really enjoy it. It still makes me laugh a whole lot. And there are a lot of slut-shamey jokes about Roz, but I don't mind. I mean, I do, but I don't. I laugh at it still. Um right. That's, and that's what I'm watching, like, to feel better, to, like, go to sleep. But in terms of everything else, I watch everything. Uh, <laughs> even when I was working, I really love that um, somehow doing this job has not taken away my love of television. I am able to watch it like a newborn babe most of the time and forget, like, what it must have been like to shoot that scene or how cold it looks or those actors hated each other. Like, I kind of watch things very innocently, and I hope I never lose that. It's really enjoyable. So, So I just started For All Mankind because I heard wonderful things about season three and I wanted to try it. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I watched the pilot of The Bear and got very stressed out. And once my blood pressure comes back down, I'll watch the rest of it. Um, That's I literally loved...
0: my reaction to it. I watched the pilot and then a week later finished binging the rest of the series. That's right. I'll do yes. it.
1: I will yes. do it. I'm loving rap shit on HBO and anything else in particular. Oh, I just watched all of The League of the Rome in one day. In one day.
0: Wonderful. A wonderful another show. Another show that we were big fans of here. So I think Abby yeah. and Abby and Darcy are just such wonderful stars and love getting yes. to see them uh, break out here so uh yeah. v- valerie thank you so much for your time i would love to have you back on and hopefully when caroline can join us and her power isn't knocked out by a thunderstorm <laughs> uh we'd love to have you back on at, uh, later in the season to talk about the finale and just the wrapping up of the show but for now i just want to say thank you so much thank you for your time here thank you for bringing this show to us and to everyone i think i think it's gonna really hold a place in the unique pantheon of important television shows so thank you
1: Thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, It's been a pleasure. I'd I'd happily come back.
0: Sounds good. Sounds good. And good luck with the season. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. I'll talk to you then. I just want to say thanks to Valerie again for her time. We got her a little bit longer than we were even scheduled to, so I appreciate her having that flexibility with us. And I want to thank AMC's PR people for helping us and coordinate the times and schedules and setting that all up. I think we're going to be trying to get a couple of more interviews for you guys to listen to as the season goes on. So definitely stay tuned. Before we say goodbye, anything else you want to drop in this before we get to episode one and two for the new season?
2: Yeah, I absolutely want to encourage our listeners to head on over to Facebook and check out our Kevin Can Fuck Himself Facebook group. There's a lot of good conversation over there and a lot of good fellow watchers to kind of bounce ideas off of. There's a lot of things that are going on in this that can be really personal. So we've even added as your admins an anonymous poster button so that you can post things that what maybe you're relating to Allison. Maybe you're relating to Kevin. I don't know. And you want to say something about it, but you maybe don't want everyone to know who you are. There's options for that, too. So come on over and discuss the show with us. I think it's extremely thought provoking and fantastic to have other people to sort of tease it out with
0: the address at Facebook the group name specific name is Kevin can F himself fans so just search that and should come up it's a private group there's three questions you got to answer that's to keep out bots and just to make sure the atmosphere stays good in the group there are also dedicated episode threads too so uh, you don't have to worry about spoilers being just in the the main feed we do a lot to try and weed out any kind of spoilerish information especially for this show which is airing one week ahead on AMC plus and so people who are just watching on AMC are are always kind of uh, uh, at least a week behind. But yeah, definitely join us over on Facebook. Uh, definitely subscribe to Kevin can podcast himself, Hit to Apple podcasts, Spotify podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you hit that like, and subscribe button. And while you're there, if you could leave us a five-star review, that would be fantastic to help get this podcast, some more visibility. It, it actually greatly influences how Apple and Spotify advertise the show and promote the show. So your ratings and reviews help. Uh, we, we would just really appreciate it. So we can be your friends. Don't you want us as your friends? You want us as your friends. Thanks so
2: much for listening.